Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. So we don't all have a band to work up in the morning, right, to wake us up. Do you? Anyone wake up to music in here? No? One of you? Hey, this is not rhetorical. Can you help me out? Does anyone else wake up to music like that? Nobody? Okay, I see a few hands. Listen, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes we need a little something to get us up in the morning. Like I told you last week, it was just a snooze kind of morning, and it hit me after about 14 or 15 snoozes or so. It felt like as to why it was a snooze morning, because my wife was out of town, right? And I was like, God, that's it. She hates the snooze. Actually, because I'm the one that snoozes, she hates it when I do that because she, you know, leans over and says, please get out of bed, right? Your snooze is waking me up. We are in a series entitled Brave, and we've been looking at the book of Daniel. And just to recap, over the last couple of weeks, sort of where we've been in chapters one and two of this incredible Bible story about an incredible man. As I stated in week one, we all need models. It's impossible to be a good baseball player if you've never seen a good baseball swing. It's impossible to be a good cook unless you've tasted good food. Can I get an amen? Listen, if you just amen beside your spouse, you're in trouble. All right, listen, I, I, it, but it's just true. Like in, in, until you've tasted really good food, it's really hard to, to understand what a good model is. I remember telling you the story that I was a, um, a baritone euphonium brass player, and that's what I did all through school. I studied education and music performance. And it took until my junior year in high school until someone actually gave me a CD, right, that stands for anybody? Yeah, some of you didn't know that's okay, right? Forgive you. Someone handed me a CD and said, hey, this is uh, the euphonium baritone professor at North Texas University. North Texas University is actually a very good um, um, music performance uh, school. And so he said, this is the professor there. And I was blown away because I finally said, wow, this instrument that I've been playing for several years is supposed to sound like that. Got up early this morning and looked over the notes and just prepared for the day, walked into Cafe Nero. And not every time do you get to walk into a coffee shop and hear a baritone, but of course my ears hear it, right? And I listen, I'm like, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Daniel provides for us a faith model that most of us, we could honestly say after reading some of the stories in this book have never been around. Some of you, after reading some of the book, you say, I've, I've seen crazy faith like that. Maybe some of you could recount crazy faith that you've seen in your family or maybe a friend growing up. Others of, of you that are potentially new to faith and you're exploring faith, you actually see faith around you in incredible ways. That kind of blows you away. I remember someone coming up to me in college when I went to the University of South Carolina and someone coming up to me and said, you're a Christian. And the reason that they asked me that is because I was new to faith and so were they. And I remember throughout the college years, especially other people asking and seeing different things about you. When you see faith at work in people's life, you notice it, don't you? Especially those that step out in faith. Well, Daniel lived that kind of faith. In the exile, what happened in Jerusalem was incredible. Hundreds of years before the time that Jesus was born, um, Jerusalem was destroyed. 
And when Jerusalem was destroyed, not everyone was killed. There's so many were taken into exile into Babylon. And what happened when Daniel and some of his friends went to Babylon, some of the best looking, sharpest men were chosen to not just be slaves, but to be the king's slaves. And in a sense, they were taken through Babylon University, take, taught new language, taught new literature to understand the way that the, kings, you know, the, the, the king uh, thinks, the way that he operates, so that they could one day serve under the king as a royal slave serving the best of him. But because of Daniel's faith, because of Daniel's courage, because of his willingness to speak out, he won not just the favor of God, but he won the favor of the king. Last week, we looked at how no one in the land could interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Some of you that were here may recall, some of you that may not, Nebuchadnezzar had an awful dream. And this dream was so awful, he didn't wake up telling other people about it, right? He woke up being concerned and anxious and depressed and worried about it. So he called all of the, 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 the governors, the satraps, the, the diviners, everyone together, the magicians, the sorcerers. He called everyone together and said, you not only need to interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what the dream was. And of course, everyone responds and says, that's quite ridiculous. That's unreasonable. Who could tell you what your dream is? But he refused. So finally, someone said, I know who can interpret the dream, and I know who can find out what the dream was. So they sought after Daniel. Daniel was not invited. Why? Because he was still going through Babylon University, right? He was still a student. He wasn't welcome to the table quite yet. And so Daniel found out, and what does he do? He doesn't run to the king and say, king, would you tell me a little bit of the dream, right? He goes to God. Now, he had faith. He had courageous faith. He already knew and experienced what it was like to, to know who God is and to see God at work in his life and in his people in the city of Jerusalem. Like he had one God, not many gods, one God, Jehovah God. And he went to him in prayer. He calls his friends together uh, and says, hey, let's get on our knees. Let's beg God to tell us the dream. And in the middle of the night, God told him the dream. And then he went to the king and said, King, here's the dream. What's incredible at the end of chapter 2 of Daniel is that there begins a little bit of a turn in Nebuchadnezzar, but not that much. We ended last week by saying that Nebuchadnezzar began to show a little bit of faith. He even told Daniel, in the sight of Daniel, once Daniel not just interpreted the dream, remember, he told him what the dream was. King Nebuchadnezzar fell flat on his face and paid honor to Daniel, not just to Daniel, but King Nebuchadnezzar paid honor to his God. While he could have just praised Daniel, he, he said, Daniel, your God is the God of gods, not the only God yet, but he said he is the God of all gods. He even said he's the Lord, not of lords. If you could finish this sentence, you would probably say king of kings and lord of. But that's not what the king says. The king says he is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, recognizing that his God, Daniel's God, not King Nebuchadnezzar's God yet, but that Daniel's God has power over himself. He confessed that. And Daniel praised and worshiped God because of how God moved. But what we pick up in Daniel chapter 3 is that kings, the king's heart did not shift and did not change. In fact, he did the opposite. We didn't go through all the dream because these chapters can be quite long. But part of the dream was that King Nebuchadnezzar saw an image that was erected. And there was, a, there was a, the image, something carved out of, the, of, of, a, of a stone. And the stone comes out and hits the image four times and it crumbles. 
And when Daniel interprets the dream, it says, these are the kingdoms that will follow you, that the kingdoms will crush one another, and eventually the fourth kingdom will be stronger and more powerful than any of the previous ones. We believe, because we see the history of what happened after that, that that was Rome, that there was one day coming a power in the land that would destroy all others, and it was, and it happened. Within uh, so many years and so many kings, Rome took over. Well, what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? Most scholars say within about five to seven years, we pick up in chapter three. He actually builds a statue of gold that's nine stories tall, nine stories tall. Now, not pure gold. More than likely, it was a wooden created structure with overlaid gold. And more than likely, that statue had something to do with himself. Now, he had the dream about the statue. He had the dream about the image. And now he builds it, fulfilling his own prophecy that was just spoken over him by a man named Daniel who believed in God. So he builds the statue and he calls a celebration. He calls all the people of the land, including the governors over each province, he calls all the, the, the diviners, he calls all of the magicians, the sorcerers together, and they issue a decree. And this decree in the land was that every time the music played, that everyone would bow down. Every time the sound of the harp, the sound of the lyre, the sound of the flutes, the sound of the trumpets, that they would bow down to the image, no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, that they would bow down. And they would pay homage to the image and worship it. Well, word got on the street. The Chaldeans came to the king and said, King, you issued a decree, but guess what? Not everyone has listened to you. In fact, the ones that are not listening to you are the outsiders, the exiles, the kids from Jerusalem. And of course, he says, well, who? And they say, well, it's Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That these men refused. So obviously they were not just seen not bowing down, but there were some sort of altercation saying that we're not going to do it. And so what does the king do? The king would do what any king would do, and he would call for them to speak. Not he could have. What he could have done was give command right there for them to be killed. He didn't do that. He calls them. He wants to question them. In some ways, because especially if you remember from weeks one and two, this was somewhat gracious of the king, right? To not just call for their heads on the spot, but he says, no, call them. I want to speak to them. So he calls them together and he says, is it true? Is it true that you do not serve my gods? Is it true that you do not bow down to my statue? And I love their response. And this is what we're going to do over the next few moments is look at what happens next between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the most powerful king on the planet at the time. We're going to start in verse 16. In verse 16 in Daniel chapter 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, let me just stop there. That's not a good start, fellas. Right? No, no, no. I called you to defend yourself. We don't need. Look at this courageous, incredible faith that these three men. Now, Daniel doesn't play much a part of this story today, right? This is the bravery of men who have faith in God. This is what he says. We don't need to defend ourselves. If I'm sitting there in council, I'm like, guys, yeah, you do. Just 
help, help them out. Give a little bit more information, right? It's like when you're watching the movie and you're like, you shouldn't have said that, you know? You want to talk to the movie writer and like, no, 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 I'm a writer. I'm creating tension. I, you know, the things that, they, that are so obvious that you should say next, this is not what they should say next. Look at verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Everybody say, mic drop. I mean, right? Wow. I can't imagine the palpable, real tension in this room at that time. I'm sure some of the nearby folks who served the king were ready for one thing. That was to punish, right? Pull out the sword. But he already said what the punishment was going to be in the previous verses that we did not read because, again, these chapters are long. In the previous verses, he already said what the punishment was going to be, that they would be thrown into the fiery furnace when they came in. So they knew what the punishment was when they came in the room. It's like, could you imagine being a kid, you're in trouble, right? Maybe some kiddos are in here, you're kind of in trouble with your parents, and they haven't even asked you the story yet, but you know what the punishment's going to be? What are you going to do? You change the story. I'm not telling you you should. I'm just saying that maybe I did that once or twice. Sorry, Mom, if you're watching online. Like, you know, the punishment's coming. And so my trick, my manipulation as a parent, yeah, that's confession. I, my manipulation as a parent is to seem like it's not a big deal, right? You call them in, you say, hey, tell me what happened. Did you have fun at your your friend's house? But you already know what happened. You dirty dog, you know, those parents, we're pretty good at it, aren't we? I was really good. I mean, am really good at it because maybe I tried it as a kid. I mean, maybe I'm not getting myself in trouble, am I? I don't think I am because my mom doesn't still punish me. But, you know, if you come to your, your, your son or your daughter and they know that you're upset, man, it's so easy for the truth to change because of fear, right? When you stand fear in the face, you change the truth. Not so when you're brave. Not so when you know there's a cost to it. And I'm telling you, I I doubt and I could be wrong. And I'd love to hear the story if you're willing to tell it. But not many of the people in this room, maybe someone listening online, have had to stare death and penalty in the faith because of their faith. Right? Most people at least have not endured that in our culture. There are people enduring that today, right now, in many parts of the world. And it does happen. Religious persecution happens. It looks and sounds different in every single country. So I'm not turning a blind eye to it because it does happen in today's workplace. In fact, I've talked to people that have attended here that have faced religious persecution in the workplace. But I don't think there's a furnace downstairs that you have to worry about getting into, right? It just looks different. But in the face of knowing punishment's coming, there's fear. And in the face of fear, we retract. In the face of fear, when we retract, we change the truth. We manipulate. But look at what they do here. We don't have to defend ourselves, King. God is able to save us. Some Hebrew translations of this, God is able to, it literally feels like they're saying, we anticipate God's salvation, that he will save us, right? So it's not just a statement that God can, 
but it's a belief that God will. But you, maybe some of you that are Christians and you have faith and, and you've been in situations where you know that the truth would hurt, you've been courageous enough to speak the truth, knowing that the punishment may come knowing that they may not speak to you anymore. And this is very real. Knowing that you might lose your job, knowing that you might lose favor, knowing that the relationship, the close relationship, I'm, I'm talking like nuclear family relationship, that they won't look at you the same. That stuff happens every day in and around these neighborhoods where you live. But this, wow, knowing that death was coming, God is able to save us, and we believe that he will. But what does he do? He gives a disclaimer, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, king, we will not bow down. It ain't going to happen. I'm sure they were looking for another drop, another microphone to drop, right? They were like, here it is. We will not bow down to your God because they have seen God, right? They have seen God work. They have seen God work in the exile. They saw God work in Jerusalem way before the exile. They believed the prophets. They knew the stories. They lived the stories. They heard incredible uh, stories from their parents, from their grandparents. They've literally seen and experienced faith. Those of you that grew up experiencing and seeing faith, it's a game changer. Some of you as adults are experiencing seeing faith around you, maybe in even in around this church for the first time because you didn't grow up that way. The people of Babylon did not grow up experiencing the one and only true God, but the people of Jerusalem did. And they came in with bold faith saying, there ain't no way we're going to bow down to you. Their faith led to their witness. That's what happened. Their faith led to their witness. And I, I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but I'm telling you, if you have faith, as it grows, as you take steps, you will have opportunity after opportunity. What that looks like and sounds like in the workplace, in the home, as friends, when people ask you, um, about you and about your story. I don't know what it looks like, but your faith can lead to your witness. And this is exactly what happened in the king's court that day. They were able to share because of their incredible, strong faith in the one and only true God. Look what happens next in verse 19. By the way, these are such great verses. I, I'm sorry that the story just unfolds slowly. Last week, someone said, man, I just wanted you to tell the rest of the story. And I said, well, I got to talk about the story, right? What happens in verse 19? You have to wait three more seconds. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar, imagine this, was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. I don't know what his attitude was previously, but it just got worse. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound, and they were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire actually killed the soldiers who took them up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar 
he leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't these three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Wow. What a story. Someone asked me just before I came up, how many times do you have to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I just said it a lot there. I'm like, be careful. The pastor might curse if he says that wrong. I don't know. It's just, it's hard to say that over and over. This is such an incredible story. But he makes the king, they make the king furious. By the way, I had to look up, how does a fire, be careful what you Google, how does a fire get seven times hotter, right? This literally just, it doesn't mean that it goes from 1,500 degrees to whatever. I should have used an easier number, seven times, 50, you know. Anyways, whatever, you get the idea. The fire, whatever, however much coal they put in to heat the fire, they did it seven times, right? This doesn't matter how hot it is, no matter what, we know that it would kill them. And in fact, it killed the men that took them to throw them into the furnace, and so their faith truly being tested right here says their, their faith led to their punishment. And what I, what I mentioned earlier, that sometimes your faith, when it comes out, it's not always received with blessing. Yeah, right? It's not always received. Well, that's good for you. Well, sometimes it is. Oh, that's good for you. But you know, that's not really what they're thinking, right? Their faith led to their punishment and they knew it, but they were courageous enough. They knew that, listen, this is my faith. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be bold about it. And what happens in our life, we cannot control often the response that we get when we're able to step out and say sometimes to a stranger, sometimes to a boss, sometimes to a friend, the faith that we have in God. But in this moment, they knew that their faith would lead to their punishment. So imagine this, them being thrown into the fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and sees a fourth. A fourth? And the way that he described it in the Hebrew, a son of a god, right? Literally meaning there is a being in that fire that, does, that is not a man. He must come from the gods, in some translations, it's basically saying an angel, a messenger, someone to protect them. Isn't that incredible? But realizing that even though their faith led to their punishment, that their faith and what they said earlier came true, and that God d- did deliver them from the pain. God did deliver them from the fire. Literally, he is able to see them with their eyes and call them out. Now imagine the moment that happens when they come out. Verse 27, pick up, read the last few verses together. In verse 27, it says, And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. By the way, these people here are the same folks that the king first called when they dedicated this nine-story statue. They were the ones that were standing by the king giving affirmation, giving signatures, right, and agreeing that this was the law of the land. These same people were around when they punished them, right? 
These same people. So they all crowded around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes, their robes were not scorched. And I love this little bonus. And there was no smell of fire even on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And look at this last bonus. Then the king promoted them. Again, right? There's a promotion that happened from chapter 1 to chapter 2, chapter 2 to 3, and now we see again that they won in even greater favor. Wouldn't you promote somebody, right, <laughs> if this happened? They said, wow. Nebuchadnezzar was a, was a king who believed in many gods. There wasn't just one statue in the center of town that was nine stories tall, right? There were many. There wasn't one declaration or proclamation to faith, of faith to a God. There, there were many. And when they come out, what happens in Nebuchadnezzar's heart is something different than what happened in the chapter before. He realized that there was no way that anyone could do this without a power that was not their own. There's no way. I mean, this is crazy. This is bizarre. He already had many dreams that were interpreted in this book and the rest of the book, too. There's more dreams coming down the road, how God spoke to people through dreams. It certainly happened to him as a pagan king who had no faith in God. And he used the men of the exile to interpret it. I mean, is this, a, is this another dream? He said, no, 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 this was real. They came out wearing all of their clothes. They did not take all their clothes off when they sent them in the fire. That would have been an interesting conversation if they come out. It's like, hey, well, why don't you put on some clothes, and then we'll talk about how that happened, right? Nope. They come out fully dressed, not even smelling like fire. And then the faith of Nebuchadnezzar begins to change a little bit more. Do you remember what I told you in the first chapter and the second chapter? The king recognizes through Daniel doing a fast and his friends doing a fast that these men were courageous to ask for different food than they were given. And so he, he gave them credit for that. The king's officials gave them credit for that and says, wow, they're, they have a strong faith. And then their God gives the interpretation of a dream and the meaning and what the actual dream was. And now their God saves them from a fire. So the faith is changing. Why? Because he's seeing faith. It's so hard to start the faith journey unless you see it, right? I, I, I just remember when I first started my own faith journey, it's really because not just because the proclamation, the stories that you see and hear from the scripture, but it's because, because people around you are actually living it out. And you see, wow, something's different about them, right? I've had, remember those conversations in my life. You've had some of those conversations. Some of you that are new to faith or exploring faith, you see faith around you and it really blows you away. Well, the king, not believing in God, but realizing that they have a God that they must believe in, he sees God working, not just the faith of them, but he sees God working. And then he, he says something here at the end. I just read a second ago. 
And then he says, I realize that you, you trusted in the king, right? And that you trusted in your God to save you, and he did. And he makes this incredible statement. Remember the chapter before he bowed down? This time he makes a statement. No other God can save in this way. None. That's a statement for the boys around, right? Listening to the king say that. Wait, wait, wait. What about that one? What about this one? What about that statue? What about, what about him? No other God can save in this way. Winning such favor that he says that he will kill anyone who does not honor their God. What is your Nebuchadnezzar moment? You see what happened in their faith? Their faith led to God's glory. And when their faith led to God's glory, it was around a bunch of people who did not know God, right? It was around a bunch of people that did not know God. When I ask this question, what I want you to think about with your Nebuchadnezzar moment is the moment that you discovered, the moment that you believed, or the moment that you sensed that there was a God who loves you. And what's incredible about faith in this world that we live in, the option that you and I have and this freedom that we have to choose what we believe, to choose what faith that we place into, there are so many people who do believe that God is real but they don't honor him with their life. There are so many people that can say, yeah, I believe that there's a God, but it's really irrelevant to them. It's sort of like what Nebuchadnezzar, you weren't born into this world with faith in God. One day you hear a story and you learn about the most printed book ever of all time, like God's word, the Holy Bible. And you realize that these stories are historical documents. Daniel's not a fairy tale, right? Historian after historian they, they write about Daniel. They write about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They write about Daniel serving. By the way, Daniel won such favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel stays in charge and in power long after Nebuchadnezzar dies. The next king says, I like him. Kind of joked in, in, uh, in the first week uh, a few weeks ago. And how many presidents keep around everybody in the White House? Only a few. There's only a few people that can last from power to power. We're not talking about the House of Representatives and the Congress, the people that you and I can put into positions of authority. We're talking about the president. Well, Daniel wins the favor of multiple empires. Why? Because of his faith in God. The people around him, because of his faith, they begin to express faith. Now, I'd like to tell you that chapter 4 is going to be different. That King Nebuchadnezzar takes that big step of faith, right? He takes that step of faith and says, "Here, okay, God, your God is going to be my God, but he doesn't yet. So many of us in this room, we're at different places of our faith journey. And I'm in a place in my faith journey, not only as a pastor, but I, as I say, first and foremost, just as a believer in Christ, that I have experienced God in my life, and I know he's real. I've placed my faith in him. I've been following Christ in my life for years. And I see other people around them. I, I see other people that have faith too. And I believe. But I had to take that step. And Nebuchadnezzar's at this moment when he's seeing faith all around them. And he says, wow, your God is real. So many people that are new to faith journey, I think it's time for a step. And that step of faith to say, I, I do believe. What does it mean for me to follow Christ with my life.
even this fall, we have some exciting things coming that you're going to learn about in the next few weeks about how to, to explore your own faith journey and taking steps of faith. You're going to hear about those in the weeks to come. If you are a believer and you have been on your own faith journey for so many years, Daniel and his friends here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are the model that we need, aren't they? They are the model that we need. When we look at them and say, wow, that's what strong faith looks like. We're going to sing a song in just a few moments. And I, I pulled it up as we were singing the song just a moment ago. I pulled up the lyrics. In fact, Lauren, if you want to, you could throw up this lyric, um, especially the second part. There, was an, there is another in the fire. This is the song that we're going to close with. There's another in the fire. It's called there's another in the fire, right? It's an incredible song about the journey that Daniel and his friends went on in this moment. Look at this. I'm going to read just a few lyrics. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding, oh, how I've been set free. There is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the the fire. The song that we closed was inspired even by this very story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The belief that God is present, the belief that God can save even Nebuchadnezzar in just a few moments, just after this fiery moment, he says, I believe that your God is able to save. And the reason that we say and the reason that we sing what we're about to sing is because of what Jesus did for each and every single one of us is that Jesus Christ died on the cross just over 2,000 years ago. And in dying on the cross and rising again from the dead, he offered the forgiveness of sin to anyone who would believe. And anyone who would believe and place their faith in Christ as Lord could have a relationship with him and could spend eternity with God in heaven after this life. And it was that same faith that Daniel's friends had when they said that God is able to save. And it's on that same faith journey that some of you are on, where you might be ready even today to take that step of faith to say, I believe that God is able to save. We're going to sing this next song. And as we sing this next song, I'm not, I hope and I pray that so many of you are singing from a place of your heart where you are also worshiping because you do believe that God is with you in your life today, not just in Shadrach's life, right? Years ago, but he is present today in your life. If you believe that you will experience him. James chapter four, verse eight says, when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you that God is real and God is present and God is with you in the fires of your life. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.